We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your host, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 217. We are continuing our coverage of opening week baseball. We got some good previews. As we said yesterday, on the show, we are going to be covering all of the AL East teams so we can get down and dirty and figure out what is going on and what has happened at these guys' camps. Today, we will be talking about the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. First joined by Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet Canada to go all through the Blue Jays, figure out what exactly uh, we could expect from these guys. They had a pretty terrible start last year, but they came in with some pretty big expectations. So what is the what's the deal this year? It seems like their offense has revamped a bit and that pitching staff is still pretty damn good if healthy. So we'll talk to Arden about that. And then we welcome back our old friend. Everybody knows Mr. Chad Jennings from the Low HUD Journal, and he is now with the Boston Herald covering the Boston Red Sox. So Chad takes us through the Red Sox camp and all of the new changes they have. Obviously, they have a new manager, another big marquee bat that they desperately needed, it seemed, uh, to add a little bit more pop into that lineup. But we definitely talk with Chad all about what's going on there, some of these injuries that they're fighting in their pitching staff, what's Pedroyo's status. So lots to cover. First thing we're going to be doing is talking to Arden Zwelling. Enjoy that. Chad Jennings is directly after that. And then we will see you guys again tomorrow for the Tampa Bay Rays and the Baltimore Orioles preview. All right, guys, enjoy it. Talk to you soon. I'm as free as Andy Dufresne was standing in the rain after escaping Shawshank coming out to drain. And these days you ain't holding me back. I'm flowing these raps. The painting ain't a thing when the music in my brain I maintain. All right, guys, I want to welcome to the show our guest for the Toronto Blue Jays, Mr. Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet Canada. And he's also the host of At The Letters podcast. Arden, thanks for joining us. 
Hey, thanks for having me, man. You know, so everybody is talking about the AL East, and it seems like in the headlines, uh, you know, the, the majority of the conversation is gearing towards the, the Red Sox and the Yankees, and understandably so with some of the acquisitions and obviously the rivalry that everybody wants to bring back. But are we overlooking the Blue Jays? Because it seems like they've done... You know, a few things in the offseason seems like some under-the-radar moves. That actually, uh, when you look at their lineup up and down, and something I hadn't done all, all offseason until uh, last week or so, I'm like, whoa, they actually have a pretty good lineup, and, and this pitching staff could be very good. So what are, your, uh, what are your thoughts initially coming out of camp? Yeah, you know, you're starting to see the Blue Jays pop up on some of those lists of, you know, teams that could surprise and teams that could exceed expectations and i think that you know the fans would probably in, in toronto would probably rather that it was more of the the narrative around the yankees and red sox where it was these teams are going to be really good and these yeah. teams uh you know players who might hit 50 home runs sure. uh, it's, it's, uh, these, these teams have chris sale who is you know one of the best pitchers in baseball so it, it it's not quite that with the blue jays but uh you know i do think it is a better team than it was last year when the blue jays only won 76 games and were in last place until the uh, the final day of the regular season you know the the blue jays really took an approach this off season of uh not so much you know, improving the ceiling and not so much going after, you know, really high upside talent, but more so just raising the floor and improving the depth and improving just kind of the standard of play at uh, a number of positions uh, and improving versatility rather than going out and making a really, you know, sexy, uh, big splash type of signing. So we'll, we'll see if it works out for them. They're in a better position this year than last. Uh, but last year, you know, health really, really submarine this team. And, uh, you know, it's a team that's really just another year older. So uh, health, that's, that's going to be a big thing for them coming, uh, coming into this year as well. So obviously one of the, the big name, the, the guy that has been really a staple for the oh. in the face of the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, Jose Bautista is gone. The outfield is, is pretty much reworked with the additions of Granderson. Um, uh, Gritchick is came over from St. Louis, so you guys add some players. Uh, you, another guy that the Yankees fans will will know is um, Young Jervis Solarte, who's going to be coming in. I assume he's playing what second base or probably float around a little bit because he can play multiple positions. But you know, there's those those three additions. I'd say are again, like I was saying, those are ones I think that went under the radar, but they're solid additions to a baseball team. Yeah, Solarte is going to play all over the place. Uh, you know, he, he might spell Josh Donaldson a bit at third base uh, if Donaldson is having some more DH days. Uh, yeah, I think you'll see you know Solarte at second sparingly at short, but but you know Troy Tulowitzki isn't ready to go to begin the season, so the Blue Jays are going to need a solution there. And you mentioned the outfield. Yeah, Randall Grichuk's going to play every day in field in his career and hasn't gotten on base at a, a very good clip. But he's also a guy who's shown some really tantalizing power. And, and you know, the Blue Jays are hoping that that power is going to play up not only at Rogers Center, but at Yankee Stadium, Camden Yards, Fenway Park. You know, these, these are some small ballparks in the AL East. So the Blue Jays are hoping they're going to see dividends there. And then in left, yeah, you know, your old friend Curtis Granderson is going to be uh, platooning with Steve Pierce in left field. So, you know, it, it's, that really has been kind of what the Blue Jays have done is they've just tried to kind of make themselves better from a floor standpoint. You know, last year, Devin Travis, the, the starting second baseman, and Troy Tulowitzki, the shortstop, each missed a lot of time. And, 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 you know, in their place, you saw a lot of Ryan Goins and Darwin Barney, who just were not able to contribute offensively uh, at, at, a, you know, at, a, at a capacity that's going to let you win a lot of games. So the Blue Jays have brought in Solarte. They brought in Aledemus Diaz from the St. Louis Cardinals. He's going to play a lot of shortstop, especially if Tulowitzki be getting on the, uh, on the disabled list. And the Blue Jays are hoping that they're just going to be, you know, they're going those, those names are going to bring more offense than, uh, you know, than, 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 than the names that the, the Blue Jays had last season. I mean, we'll see if it works. Everybody is being very cautious with this team. <laughs> right now because this is a team that had pretty high expectations last season as well and, and finished 10 games below 500 so you know the Blue Jays really need to go out and prove something uh in April especially you know last season this is a team that started one and nine uh you know put themselves in, in a massive hole out of the gates that they spent the entire year trying to dig themselves out of and, and then they never really got back to 500 so this is a team that has a lot to prove in April I think you know I think Ryan Goins had his uh it seemed like every time he was playing the Yankees, he was hitting a home run. Though I mean, this kid was playing 
ridiculous with the Yankees. Uh, against the Yankees, he was constantly, constantly getting a big hit. I'm like, why is this happening right now? Why, why is Ryan Goins the one that's beating us? It's, uh, that, that was driving. It wasn't nuts. happening against anyone else. <laughs> well, I'll tell you yeah. that. <laughs> uh, so you're talking about Tulowitzki's still hurt. I mean, obviously this guy has been battling injuries for for a while now. It seems to be the the narrative of the uh, second half of his career ever since Colorado, but. Um, what's his status? You know, when, when do you guys expect him back and, uh, what's that impact throughout? I mean, you said you're going to be plugging in some guys at short, but I mean, that's a big bat and a big guy to not have in the lineup. Yeah. You know, it's really kind of a mysterious situation because Troy Tulowitzki came into spring training, expecting to be ready for opening day. You know, he had a really severe ankle injury, uh, last year. He, he just stepped on a foot at first base and ended up tearing some ligaments in his in his ankle and doing quite a bit of uh, damage in there. And he got over that, but in the process of rehabbing that injury, he actually ended up aggravating some bone spurs that he had been playing through uh, for, for much of his career. And, you know, that's given him a lot of difficulty when it comes to running. It's causing him a lot of pain. Uh, so, you know, Troy Tulowitzki came into camp thinking he's going to get over that quickly and he'll be ready for opening day. And here we are on, you know, pretty, pretty close to opening day and he's still not running yet. You know, he's been through in all of spring training, just taking BP, taking ground balls, but not running and not getting back up to full speed. And it really is kind of mysterious, you know, when he's going to be back. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he started the year on the 60 day DL, to be honest with you, because uh, the Blue Jays need 40 man roster spots. They've got mm-hmm. some non roster invitees who are going to make this team and they need to open up a spot. And, you know, that's just kind of the easy move to make. So, We'll see with Troy Tulowitzki. We'll see when he might be, uh, you know, back at Rogers Center playing for the Blue Jays. But it's certainly not going to be at, at the beginning of the season. You're going to see Ledimus Diaz start at shortstop. Uh, you know, you might see some young Irvis Solarte. Uh, you know, I think Danny Espinosa, another name you guys will be familiar with, uh, mm-hmm. is probably going to make this team as as a utility infielder and, and play some shortstop as well. So the Blue Jays are really going to be kind of patching things over in that position. It seems like even with uh, with the foot injury that you're talking about, that even a um, that transition back to shortstop for Tulowitzki might be a challenge. You know, it sounds like he's hitting. You said he's taking BP and stuff. You know, maybe that's the maybe he's coming back at some point, and, and it, be, it might not be a bad move for him, honestly, for his career at this point to go into that DH spot. Yeah, the Blue Jays just don't have that spot open. Right. <laughs> you know, Ken, Kendris Morales is is on this team, and he's not a guy that you want to see a lot of in the field. So That's if you true. want to get him in the lineup, it has to be a DH. There's also Justin Smoke, who's a, a first baseman slash designated hitter. And, you know, he had a great season in 2017, but he really wore down in, in the latter half of it. It's because he was playing so much, and he was on his feet a lot in the field on that Rogers Center turf every day. So I think the Blue Jays would like to see him get more DH at-bats. Josh Donaldson's going to need DH at-bats. He's been banged up this spring, and you're not going to want to push him too much on turf. Devin Travis, another player with, with you know a long history of injury concerns. Curtis Granderson's in his you know mid to late 30s. He's going to need DH at-bats. I mean, there's just so yeah. many first base DH types on this team. It's, it's hard to, you know, get them all in. All right. So let's talk about the pitching staff. The pitching staff, I think is one of the stronger elements of the Blue Jays. Uh, Marcus Stroman, who's a, a New York guy. One of the, that's the one guy I want to see on the Yankees at some point. I'm just, if I'm, if I'm being honest with you, uh, but Marcus Stroman looks like he's good to go. Aaron Sanchez. Uh, and then you have Hap who's going to be taking the ball on opening day. So how does the, how does the, how does the uh, rotation pan out for you guys? You guys have to have some confidence uh, going into the season with these guys. You know, that's the that's the upside on this team is, is the rotation. And, you know, if, if all five guys in that rotation, Stroman, Sanchez, Jay Hat, Marco Estrada, and Jaime Garcia, if they are all healthy throughout the year and pitching to their potential, this could be one of the better rotations in the American League. Uh, the issue with the Blue Jays is there just isn't great depth behind those five. You know, the, the number six right now would probably be Joe Biagini, who's a guy's a, a, you know, he's been a reliever at times. He's been a starter at times. And, you know, it, it's been a bit of a struggle for him uh, pitching a, as a starter. You know, he's been pretty inconsistent. And then beyond him, you're looking at, you know, some, some kind of minor league free agent types, you know, Nick Tepesh, Deck McGuire, uh, there's some prospects on the way. Uh, Ryan Barucki is one name, a, a left-hander who the Blue Jays are excited about, but he's not exactly a finished product. 
another one, Thomas Pannone, a, a prospect the Blue Jays were, were excited about, uh, you know, tested positive for performance-enhancing substance uh, this spring. He's going to miss the first 80 games of the year. So the, the depth is, is definitely an issue with the starters. But the Blue Jays are hoping that the five that are in their rotation uh, to begin the season are all going to be consistent and performing and healthy. Uh, and, and if they are, you know, it can be a really good rotation. There's just, you know, a, a lot of questions to be answered. Marcus Stroman battled some shoulder inflammation during spring. Uh, you know, the Blue Jays aren't overly concerned about it, but he certainly needs to, you know, prove he can go out and, and handle the workload he has over the last couple of years when he's put up 200-plus innings each season. Aaron Sanchez missed almost all of 2017 with blister issues, and he had that great 2016 season where he led the American League in ERA, but he has to prove that you know he can hold up and that these blister issues aren't going to come back and he's going to be able to start every five days. Marco Estrada had some pretty significant struggles last season. He's going to try to get through them. And then uh, Jay Happ is just the, the constant, and that's probably why he's starting an opening day is because he's been so consistent for the Blue Jays and, and so quietly good. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. That's kind of the, the theme of this Blue Jays season is, you know, we'll see. There, there's a lot to prove here, and, and we're excited to find out just what's going to happen. You know, when you hear about the blister issues and the ongoing issues, like Rich Hill was uh, another one of those guys who was when it was when he was looking for a contract, like that was the thing that kept coming up is these blister issues. It's amazing to me how these guys could pitch an entire, you know, go through their entire life, get to the pros, and then have these constant issues. What are they like? What are they doing to to try to help that? How do you how do you try to get past that from like a training staff perspective? Well, with Sanchez, it's something he actually dealt with in 2016 when he was really good, and yeah. he was just able to get through it. And then in 2017, it was just a constant issue for him. I mean, he had maybe, you know, three or four times where he tried to come back and then tried to start over and, and had setbacks. And the Blue Jays actually, you know, had a, a bit of a, a bit of trial and error last year when it comes to treating this. You know, they, they tried rest at times. They tried some other treatments. They, they actually had a quarter of his uh, fingernail removed, uh, you know, just uh, uh, lengthwise uh, to try and take some pressure often of an area that, that was affecting him, and, and that procedure actually ended up backfiring in a way, and it ended up costing Aaron Sanchez a, a lot more time. And then when in, in his final comeback at the end of the year, he was kind of pitching a bit differently because of all the work he'd had done on the yeah. finger and ended up aggravating a, a pulley tendon in, in a different finger. So it was just wow. it was just a mess last year with, with that thing. And, you know, Aaron Sanchez is really confident that he's, that he's beyond it, you know, when he talks to us after his spring starts now, I mean, he's not, you know, hiding his hand in a hoodie or anything like that. I mean, it's not even as, as he was, you know, it's not something that we even talk about now. So, you know, he, he's really hopeful about that. But, you know, generally pitchers who have battled blisters in the past, you mentioned Rich Hill. Generally, this is something that recurs. It's generally something that comes back. So I'm sure Aaron Sanchez is prepared for that possibility and, and has an idea of how he might handle that if it does crop up again. So talking about the farm system, you mentioned some of the pitching staff and a little bit of, uh, of the position players, but Josh Donaldson is a free agent after the season. Uh, and he's going to be obviously a, a big, a big part of what the, either the Blue Jays are going to do or not going to do throughout this into the season. You know, I don't, the trade deadline is going to come up and, and there's going to be a ton of talk about him um, and, and potentially these guys, uh, you know, getting some good return a la what the Yankees did in, uh, in 2016. It really, I mean, it turned the, the franchise around at that point. Uh, not that the franchise was in shambles by any means. I mean, but it's uh, it was a, it was a huge move. You guys have Vlad Guerrero Jr. Who's um, a huge prospect, probably number one, pro- third base prospect in, uh, in the league, I believe, and then uh, Boba Shett's another guy. What else is? What's the uh, system looking like beyond these two guys? And they're both starting in Double A, if I if I read that correctly. But is that? Do you expect them to get up at some point, or more of a September call up? Yeah, you know, those are two of the top prospects in the game. I mean, a lot of people will tell you that uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has the best bat in the minor leagues. Um, and you know, when you watch him play, it. it it scans, you know, he is, he is something else. Uh, the, the thing with those two guys is they're both so young. Guerrero Jr. just turned 19 a, a couple weeks ago. Oh, wow. Bobby Shedd is just 20. So they're still very much, you know, learning to be professionals, uh, learning to play full seasons, you know, establishing routines, working on their defensive games, which, which aren't quite where their offensive games are right now. So there's still some work going in there. And you're right, they're, they're going to start – 
at double a and you know the it, maybe a september call up like look if if the blue jays are in a situation where they're in a really tight playoff race late in the year and you know maybe josh Donaldson's injured or you know maybe they just really need a bat in the lineup then i i could see it uh you know otherwise you know i wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see either of these guys until 2019 because they are still so young but they are massively exciting talents and then you know the blue jays are you know absolutely uh you know thrilled <laughs> with, with what those guys have done so far it's you know for a lot of blue jays fans they're gonna be checking the minor league box scores every day to see you know what what these kids are doing because you know you look at some of the numbers that they've put up in the past and it's pretty impressive so those are two names that, that you know people are going to have an eye on. Anthony Alford is another really exciting prospect for this club and one that I would expect to make an impact at the big league level this year. He's an outfielder. He's actually a converted football player, and you know he's just got he's that classic kind of five tool guy, that exciting, athletic type of player who you know who he can run. He's got power. He can hit for some contact. He can field the position really well. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the major league level this year. Teoscar Hernandez. Another name uh, in the outfield, he got up last September and, and, you know, showed a lot of power, also showed a lot of swing and miss, uh, but he's been, you know, continuing his development this spring and, you know, he's pretty much as close to a finished product as you can get. Then, yeah, in, in the rotation, Ryan Barucki will, will probably make an impact at the major league level this year. We'll see what happens when Thomas Pannone gets back from his uh, suspension because he was right on the cusp. So there is, uh, you know, there, there is use coming for the Blue Jays and it has to happen, you know, some point soon because this is one of the one of baseball's oldest uh, oldest rosters. There's a lot of veterans on this club, so there's going to have to be some turnover for this team, uh, you know, in the coming years. But I, I don't know how much of that we're going to see this season. So, final thing before we before we get out of here, as far as the fan base is, the fan base, your sense of of where their where their heads are. Are they if this team is you know eight games out at the at the All-Star break and the uh, Yankees and Red Sox are, are battling at the top and it doesn't look like it are. Are you, are you thinking that they want to, at that point, like, let's get some prospects because it seems like you have a pretty good system coming up um, with guys that are, are getting closer ready and then even into next year, 2019, two of your bigger, bigger prospects um, should be ready or, or ex- extremely close if not. Are they trying to? Uh, is the fan base at that point like, "Hey, let's let's get as much as we possibly can, send Donaldson to a contender, and rebuild so that we can actually, uh, you know, f- you know, push this this process forward." Yeah, I think the fan base is approaching this 2018 season rather cautiously, mm-hmm. uh, just based on you know what happened last season. Last season was a really hard one for a lot of Blue Jays fans to accept because. 2015 and 2016, the Blue Jays went to the ALCS both years. The Rogers Center was absolutely rocking every night. I mean, it, you know, it, it really was quite a movement. And when when the Blue Jays fan base gets going, you know, it's not just a city of Toronto thing; it's a country of Canada yeah. thing. You know, it's a more than 30 million people thing. You know, regularly the the ratings for games during 2015 and 2016, when the Blue Jays were, were going really well, you're seeing a, a million, a million and a half viewers every wow. night. You know, it, it's pretty unheard of. So it, I, last season was a really big letdown for a lot of fans. And, you know, you've seen that reflected just, you know, I'd say in, in the optimism this spring. And you're also seeing it reflected in ticket sales. The Blue Jays' season ticket sales are down 7,000 from wow. last season, which is lot. pretty significant. Yeah. You know, you look 7,000 a game over 81 games. That's more than half a million people. So it, it is a, you know, and this is a team that led the American League in attendance last year. So it, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the cash, how invested the casual fans are, especially in Toronto this, uh, this spring when the Toronto Raptors are in first place in the Eastern Conference. The Toronto Maple Leafs are having one of their better years in, in a long time. So both those teams are looking like they're going to have pretty good playoff runs. So. There's going to be a lot of competition in Toronto for eyeballs. So, the, the, you know, it's like I was saying earlier, the Blue Jays really have to go out and prove it to their fans. Uh, and if they are in a situation, like you said, where, you know, come July 15th, July 20th, they're eight or ten games back and, and you know, the, the Fangraphs playoff odds are, are looking pretty remote, I would expect a pretty significant sell-off. You know, I would expect Josh Donaldson to get moved if he's healthy and performing. I would expect really any veteran with value to be shopped pretty aggressively is, you know, this front office really does make that turn, uh, you know, to, to, to try and do what the Yankees did in 2016, really, you know, yeah. there, there's a situation here with a closer, Roberto Osuna, 
who's uh, he's in the arbitration process now. He might hit free agency at 26. If there was a deal out there similar to the Miller deal or similar to the Chapman deal, I wouldn't be surprised if the Blue Jays thought pretty hard about that. I really try to, you know, put a big boost into this youth movement that that they're trying to, you know, that they're trying to establish for 2019, 2020, 2021, and and going forward. So it's there's a there's a lot at play in this Blue Jays season, and you know maybe the worst thing that could happen would be that they get to the trade deadline and they don't really know whether yeah. they're true contenders or not. You know, if if they get there and they're like just close enough to still have hope, sure. but just far enough that if they had a losing streak, things would really go badly. <laughs> that might be the worst case scenario. I think the Blue Jays would like to get to the trade deadline with a very firm idea of whether they're true contenders or whether they're out of it. Uh, we were in the same spot in 2016. You know, it's it's one of those things where you're, you, you never want to root against your team. That doesn't happen. But at the same time, like, can we have some, some definition on what's happening right now and so that we can make a, a clear judgment and, and Brian Cashman, give him, please give him the strength to make the right decision. You know what I mean? Like, let's just make this clear as possible. But yeah, that's, that's the easiest way to do things. So, um, in the two wildcard era, it's so easy for teams to remain relevant really late into the season and to remain competitive. It's, it's, you know, you can have, and especially in the American league, you think about how many bad teams there are going to be in the AL this year. Kansas City, Chicago, yep. Detroit, the Rays. I mean, is anybody buying into the Orioles? You know, it, it looks like the Blue Jays are going to be in that competition for that second wildcard spot with Minnesota and, and the Los Angeles Angels, uh, you know, right through the season. I mean, I'd say the top four teams in the AL are very clear. Houston, Cleveland, New York, and Boston. And then you've got those other three that I mentioned, and then a whole bunch of scrubs. So right. I think that there's, you know... I think it's going to be, I would be very surprised if the Blue Jays were in a position at the trade deadline where they're thinking, all right, we're completely out of it. Uh, we need to really sell everything off. Well, Arden, thanks so much for, for coming on. Um, really give some good insight on on the Blue Jays team and, and kind of what we're looking forward to in the future as well from you guys. So uh, if you want to follow Arden on Twitter, he's at Arden Zwelling. And he is, again, the host of At The Letters podcast with Sportsnet Canada. Arden, thanks a lot for coming on and uh, giving us that insight. Thanks for having me, man. Joining us on the podcast now is Chad Jennings. He writes for the Boston Herald. He used to write for the good guys. Now he's up there in Boston. Chad, how's it going? Oh, it's going all right. How was your first year covering the Red Sox? <laughs> year one was all right. It was, uh, you know, it's it's different, but not all that different. You know, the job is basically the same, uh, just a different group of guys. And, you know, my, my wife and I moved to Boston because we were having a baby, and, and my wife's family's from there. So, you know, it's uh, the, the different team was uh, was hardly the biggest change in my life, <laughs> you know. Um, so it was, but it's been fine. Um, I've enjoyed it. And now you have babysitters. It's great. I, I know the, uh, I live close to my in-laws, so I understand. Yeah. It's uh that's a, that's a big plus. It is a big plus. It's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first thing we want to get into, I guess, is how did, how did camp go? There's a, there's been a lot of buzz obviously with, uh, with these two teams. What, what's the general feeling entering, uh, entering the season from, from uh Red Sox camp? Well, it's, uh, I mean, look, they're, they're good. I, I don't know. You know, it's always going to be with them. I think a matter of, of depth this year, it's particularly depth in their rotation. If, if this rotation's good and if the rotation's healthy, if David Price gets 30 starts, then I think they're a, they're a, a real force to reckon with. Um, you know, adding JD Martinez gives them that home run power. They didn't have last year uh, getting, you know, a full year out of Devers second year out of Benatendi. You, know, you would think that makes the offense better. Uh, bringing in Eduardo Nunez, like, you know the the former Yankees infielder. You know he's going to open the year at second base while Pedroia is hurt. But then, you know, once you get into May, you know he should be kind of a, uh, a an everyday type guy who's kind of playing all over the infield. And I think their hope is that protects them a little bit more than what they had last season. You know, last year when when Pablo Sandoval once again couldn't do it they went through most of the year with just a revolving door at third base that that was real trouble for them and and Pedroia was trying to play hurt Xander Bogart had little nagging injuries throughout the year but they didn't really have a go-to guy who could sub in for them I think that's what they're hoping 
Nunez can be throughout the year because, you know, that's was an issue for them. And, and the rotation will be sort of the same way. Sale, Price, Pomerantz, Porcello, you know, that's a pretty good one through four. Um, it's just a matter of can those guys stay healthy, and if they don't, you know, is Brian Johnson going to be a guy to, to make a difference in this division? That's, that's I think those are that's questionable. Yeah, we were actually at in Tampa at that uh, Red Sox Yankees game. Saw Brian Johnson pitch, and he shut the Yankees down. And those were the a lot of the Yankees starters. So that was actually yeah. pretty impressive out of Johnson. But like you said, I, he I believe he's a journeyman. So what are the hopes for him and for that rotation in in general with Sale coming off a Cy Young type season, um, and Porcello kind of had the Cy Young season and then. I think he led the league in losses the following year. So yeah. even though on paper it might look really good, there's still a lot of question marks, I feel. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, look, Sale, I, I keep. I think for four years in a row, I've picked Chris Sale to win the Cy Young Award. I, I think Sale's excellent. Um, I think he's about as good as it gets in the league. So obviously he is what he is. Price, it's a matter of health. But then it's like you say, I mean, I, I don't know what to make of Rick Porcello. Uh, it's, it, I ask guys who covered the team in 16 and and they said that Cy Young year was legit that I mean he was he was as consistent as you could get and then last year it, it was bizarre I mean he gave up so many home runs and particularly from a guy who is meant to be kind of a two-seam guy down in the zone he just seemed to be up all the time and getting hit hard and it seemed like he was trying to work up this year the Red Sox brought uh, Derek Lowe into camp to kind of have a sinker ball mentality guy to work directly with Porcello. I mean, every early bullpen, every early sim game, everything Porcello did, Lowe was right there with him, talking him through that sort of, you know, it's okay to work town, two seams down, two seams down. And and I think that's what they're trying to get him back to. Yeah, another one that's interesting is, is Drew Pomeranz. I mean, you forget that he, I mean, this guy came into the league pretty highly touted, had some decent years, but just hasn't been consistent. He was really good last year. Um, he's going to open the year on the disabled list with this little forearm thing, but I, mean, he'll, I think he'll miss one start, maybe two. Um, and then, you know, it's how quickly can Eduardo Rodriguez come back from his knee injury. Brian Johnson, I mean, he's a first-round pick out of Florida who had a lot of injury issues. I mean, he's not a bad pitcher. He. He's just been slowed by a lot of stuff. You know, we've all seen guys who that's just kind of happened to him, whether the door's never quite open and then he's maybe hurt at the wrong time. I, I, you know, look, he's not a number one, two type guy, but I think he might be, you know, better than sort of a that journeyman idea. I think he, he could be a, a legit big league starter, but if Eduardo Rodriguez comes back or Stephen Wright comes back from the suspension or Tom Moran gets healthy pretty quickly, you know, he may be more of a relief guy, and they may not need him in the rotation. It seems like the back of it does have a lot of question marks in the sense that you're waiting for mm-hmm. some of these injuries to rebound. I mean, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez is another one of those guys. If he's healthy and he's actually contributing to the team, I mean, he he's got he's got no you know top top of the rotation type of stuff. I mean, he was a that was a big acquisition when they got him at the time. But I guess the the injury is is obviously the the big reason why he's down. Is this something that's gonna um, how long is this injury? do they think is going to last? I mean, are they having an expected yeah. time for him to get back? Well, he had uh, he had knee surgery in October. Um, he had an issue for a few years. He, he kept having a, a, basically a dislocation of his knee. And that happened to him last year in Baltimore. He stumbled in the bullpen and his, his, he had a subluxation in his knee. So that's what he's working his way back from. The idea initially was late April, early May, but, this spring, he kind of came along a lot quicker than they expected. I mean, he, he threw three innings just the other day. So I think they're expecting him back mid-April, hmm. um, you know, about the same timetable as Pomeranz, which will be about the same time that Stephen Wright comes back from his suspension. And uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of sort of that kind of starter being dumped into the rotation hall at once. You know, it's kind of they're, they're suddenly going to have their pick of these guys who they're not entirely sure what to make of them. Um, Eddie Rodriguez is, is that's probably the most intriguing one of the bunch. I mean, he's still very young, and you've seen, I mean, before he had the knee issue last year, I mean, his ERA was, I think, right at three. He was pitching really well, yeah. and then he got hurt and kind of wasn't quite the same in the second half. But 
But he could be an interesting guy who could be, I think, uh, you know, kind of a difference maker, particularly if you're looking at the back end. Uh, I actually have a question about Price and his contract. Are people talking about this season uh, and keeping an eye on that opt-out clause? And if he doesn't yeah. maybe live up to what that $30 million AAV says, that Red Sox fans are going to be crossing their fingers that he does opt out? Yeah, that's a, those opt-outs are always so bizarre. I mean, yeah, I think that if he pitches well um, and has like a really dominant year that you know, makes you feel like all oh, price is back and he is what they thought he was going to be, then, yeah, he may opt out and go test the market. Now, you also wonder how much of this offseason maybe gives him pause. Um, you know, it may be that his value is not what he would maybe think it would have been in other years. But, I mean, all of that is is a bridge to cross later. It's certainly there. It's a, it is an aspect of this team that is sort of hovering over everything. David Price can opt out after this season. Craig Kimbrell is a free agent at the end of this season. Sander Bogart only has one more year of team control. I mean, they're very quick. Chris Sale has two more years. I mean, they're very quickly getting to the end of the contract of sort of most of the really key guys on this team. And, and yeah, I think that is a, that's a substantial issue uh, for the team. Right now, obviously, you know, when you go out and, and give J.D. Martinez such a front-loaded deal, you know, they're in a very win-now mode. But, uh, but yeah, with, uh, with a guy like Price, with that opt-out in his contract coming up at a time when a lot of other guys are having their contracts come sort of to a, to a real crossroads, it's, a, it's an interesting scenario for the Red Sox because they don't have a lot of, as we were just talking about, they don't have a lot of pitching coming up. You know, there's not a lot of guys knocking on the door for them with the rotation. So if they start losing some of these guys, it, it's kind of like where, where are they going to go and how can they quickly replace that? I remember you talking the last time you were on the show, talking with Andrew, that you know you were you were mentioning that the 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 way that the team is built currently is it's very very top heavy, and there really aren't very mm-hmm. many guys that are are waiting in the wings. But you know, one of the guys, obviously, that you just mentioned, JD Martinez, that's a big signing. the The Red Sox didn't; they're not the typical Red Sox lineup that we remember with the uh, with with Manny and and Ortiz and thumping in the middle of that mm-hmm. lineup. Like they were, um, they were one of the 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 worst uh, home run hitting teams uh, last year. J.D. Martinez definitely adds, obviously, a lot more power to that team. Um, I think he, he makes that, uh, that lineup longer. What, what do you think the impact of J.D. Martinez is directly into, uh, into that lineup? Yeah, I think it's substantial. I really do. You know, go back to last season, David Ortiz becomes a free agent, and instead of trying to replace that offense, they kind of bet on the idea that, a full year of been attendee plus, you know, whatever advantages Mitch Moreland was going to give you at first base. They, they kind of bet that they could make that up a little bit in the aggregate, but mostly they then tried to win on the pitching side. So instead of replacing Ortiz with a big bat, they went out and got Chris Sale. This year, they still have Sale. They still have Price, except now they have finally gone and gotten that sort of massive middle-of-the-order DH that they just they just missed last season. Last year, when Hanley wasn't very good, there just there just was never a moment in that lineup where a guy came over and you're like, all right, this is the guy who can, who can turn this game around with one swing. They just didn't have that threat. And now with J.D. Martinez right there in the middle, I think they have that. And it also frees them now. You've got a big producer in the middle. They're going to hit Mookie Betts' leadoff. They're going to put Ben Attendee in the number two spot that all of that, I think, makes their lineup make a lot more sense and makes it a little more dangerous just top to bottom. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think the impact there is substantial because that's the one thing for the, the year after Ortiz that was just something that they missed and that they weren't used to. You know, they're, you, They were used to for years having that one guy right in the middle, and, and they just didn't have that. Is there any hesitation? There was a long, uh, long waiting period after the uh, the news came out that they were signing him, and then you know the physical, and there were all these, uh, mm-hmm. you know, under rumblings of of him potentially failing the physical. But then you know about what is it, about a week later, um, they announced the signing. Is there anything lingering there? Is there something that the team was concerned about in the physical? No. Well, everybody agrees that the hang up was he had a plantar fasciitis fasciitis issue. What was it? Beginning of last year, you know, a tiny little joint in his foot, and so what they wound up negotiating over was language very specific to that that injury. If that comes up again, 
then the Red Sox have some coverage to get out of it. But it's not something that's a point of concern right now. I mean, they, I mean, shoot, just today they, they had J.D. Martinez hitting second and playing left field just to get him as many, and he played through the ninth inning. I mean, they gave him as much playing time today as they could because he wanted an extra at-bat. So there is no concern for them right now that he's on the verge of breaking down. I think it was a lot to do just with the, the market and both sides trying to, to play it the best they could, you know. Boris and I'm sure Scott Boris made that a real easy process. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> There's no question. I mean, look, he, I mean, we talk about how crazy this offseason was. That that contract for J.D. Martinez, if he wants to, he can opt out after two years and $50 million. Yep. You know, that's that's not too bad. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's a big concern with uh, with his health. And, and there's a lot to be said, too, the stuff that I didn't really know about him until just this last month. But, I mean, he the way Martinez prepares is, is impressive. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said for just the guy who, who comes in and really goes about his business and, and studies and studies and studies. You know, I mean, he, he's looking at scouting stuff constantly. I mean, really more than I think anyone I've ever seen. Um, and so, you know, that's, you know, you wonder how much does that have an impact to just kind of around the clubhouse and on the team. One of the funnier things that I, th- I think happened this offseason was Yankees and Cashman says, no, 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 the Red Sox are still the favorite. They won the AL East last year. And then you get Dombrowski and guys from the Red Sox saying, well, the Yankees added Stanton, they're the favorites. It's like neither wants to call themselves the favorites. How do you think these two, these two teams match up? Who do you think the favorite is? And do you see any of the other teams in the, in the division sneaking in there? Well, the, the, after the last part first, no. I mean, I, I, it's hard to be high in my mind on any of the other teams. I, I've heard some people, you know, maybe high on, um, I mean, we'll talk about the Blue Jays, try to talk about the, the Orioles, but I just don't see it. I mean, even the Orioles after, after getting Cobb, I just, it still doesn't jump out to me as a team that's, that's really in this. Um, so no, I think it's a two team race. And as for a favorite, I mean, they both have the things that are, are good, you know. I mean, really, if this, if the Red Sox rotation stays healthy, I might choose them as the favorites here, just because. I mean, that sale price combo at the top, man. I mean, that that's really good. But then you look at the, I mean, what the Yankees have done very quietly is built a really good rotation. I mean, I, I think Sonny Gray is really great, and and Tanaka is going to be better than he was, I think, in at, for long stretches last season. Severino is finally the Severino that everybody was waiting for for years. I mean, that's a, that's a really good rotation, too. It, it, it's really hard for me to say that – I don't know. I mean, do you like that that's an attendee, Martinez, Devers, Bogart? I mean, that's, that's a really good group. But then, shoot, I mean, the other day when the Yankees rolled out Judge in the leadoff spot and just started out with Judge Stanton, I mean, that's a pretty big <laughs> – you know, here's what we've got. And, and so I don't think either team, I think both teams carry themselves very differently. The the Red Sox are more of kind of a chip on the shoulder type. The, the Yankees are, are young and loose and laughing and, and, you know, which one do you want? I, I don't know. I, I really think they're both, it's, both teams have every reason to believe they can win the division. It's, it's going to be a good race. I think the bigger, the biggest X factor though really is, is the Red Sox health. And, and, and so I think they have the most to lose maybe they're, they're the ones that you can most easily see how it could fall apart. You know, the Yankees start running into trouble. You know, they, I think they have pieces that they can start moving up and down and moving into different spots to fill in those holes. You got both teams now looking at a new manager, a new skipper on both sides. Alex Cora comes over to the Red Sox, takes over for John Farrell. What, uh, what one, I mean, how is, how are the guys uh, relating to Cora? I think there's been, I've heard so many different things about him and the way he the way he manages and and how he uh, works with his players. So I'm curious to see the inside uh, inside look on that. And then and then just talking uh, quickly about Farrell, you know the the different changes and what was actually the final breaking point with him. Yeah, I I, I think the final I don't know that there was a final breaking point with Farrell. Although I wonder if you know maybe it was everything that happened with Price last year when you could just tell the team was wound tight. I I. Yeah. This, I, I, this is my 15th year covering baseball, and I've never been in a clubhouse that was every day that, I don't know what the, unhappy? <laughs> I guess yeah, I, I, yeah. I, it, it, was, it was just weird. And, and Especially for a first-place team. 
Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't just those, the, you know, the price had the big high-profile things, but it just, it, there weren't even, like, necessarily bad incidents. It just, there wasn't any, that sort of joy and laughing with one another. It, it always seemed a little bit on edge, and, and, and you can feel that that's different in the clubhouse now with Cora. I mean, you know, you walk in the Red Sox clubhouse now, and, I mean, there are times Cora is just, like, sitting in a locker, just, you know, BSing around with, Pedroia and I mean it was, he was just talking with Pedroia and JD Martinez I think yesterday morning when, when the clubhouse opened the media he, a manager doing that is unusual you know and and I think that's really made a difference here and it's just brought a different mentality you know I mean you look at it a little bit with what the Yankees did I mean I, I think I think Joe Girardi is a really good manager but I don't think that he has that same sort of loose style right. and at this point Front offices know so much, and they're giving so much information that it's kind of like, how much do you really need a a smart X's and O's manager? I, I'm not sure you really need one. I mean, the, the the moves to make are sort of laid out right there for them. You know, which reliever do you bring in in this situation? Well, here's a whole chart on which man, which reliever best matches up with this spot in this order. I mean, it, it's kind of played by numbers and. So what you want now, and what I think both teams went for, is a manager that can just talk to players and explain things to them. Who can, but you know, Cora can talk to uh, Pedroia or whoever else. Who, if he's going to have to sit in for a day or if he needs to make a small change, I think he's going to do a better job of communicating to them. Hey, look, here's what these metrics are showing us. Here's why we're making this move, and make sure that players understand and buy into all that. And I think maybe that's what Farrell and and perhaps to some extent Girardi as well, were maybe not quite as good at. I'm not saying that they didn't understand the numbers or weren't able to use them. It just seemed like maybe they weren't as good at communicating that information to their players. And you're starting to see all these trends around, you know, around baseball too, with these with these guys who don't have much experience uh, that are going in. And I think it's along those lines because there's more of the relationship style managing rather than, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the, all the things you're talking about, and and, and then relying on the numbers. Um, just real quick on the on the clubhouse, do you, do you think that because of the, you know, there was that tension? Was there somebody that stepped up in that like David Ortiz role? Because obviously we all know him; he's a big personality, jovial guy. I got to imagine he mm-hmm. kept everybody loose, and maybe. It seems like there really wasn't that next guy to, to almost like fill in that void. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that there was. I mean, I think. I think honestly, I think Price was trying to do that. I, I, you know, I think that he. That's the way I took it anyway. Is that he was trying to be like a, a, rallying force for the clubhouse to be the guy who's going to like, I don't know, stand up to Hall of Famer Dennis Eckersley over this like, tiny flight. You know that really didn't make any sense. He was going to yell at a reporter in the Yankee Stadium clubhouse over a tweet that really didn't seem like a issue at all. You know, it, it seemed like he was trying to to lead forcefully. You know, just not very. It it, it wasn't natural. Maybe I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know that they have that. You know, Pedroia's personality is especially now is, is more like kind of what you saw to Jeter late in his career where, yeah. you know, the guys that Pedroia is always going to be connected to are, are gone. You know I mean? He, he, when you, when you think back on Pedroia's career, you're going to think back on, on the guys from maybe five, six years ago. And that's kind of how Jeter was at the end. He, when you think back on Jeter's career, you're, you're not going to think of him with, I don't know, Nick Swisher and that whole group, but you know, as a, that you're going to think of him more with the, the late 90s, early 2000s guy that he played with. And so he was more leadership by example, quiet, doing his part would speak up and be sort of a, a, a mouthpiece for the team, I guess. And that's kind of how Pedroia is. He just, what he says carries weight, but it's, it's, it's a different leadership style. This is a new group of guys coming in. And, and I think maybe it's going to take some time for a guy, for a guy like Mookie Betts to, step into that sort of leadership role. Um, I don't know that he, that it comes as sort of quickly for him. Um, so no, I didn't feel like last year that there was ever a moment when there was that David Price type or David Price, David Ortiz type presence in the clubhouse to sort of bring it all together and make it work. And, and with Pedroia, he's been dealing with so many injuries and he's dealing with another one. He's going to start on the DL. So I have to imagine his absence from the field also plays a, an impact on how he's going to lead. It, it's it's kind of difficult mm-hmm. to lead if you're on the DL, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's true. It's, you know, one thing that 
that Cora has mentioned a lot this year is uh, this spring is that Pedroia was supposed to be out, you know, well into May, I think. And by the end of spring training, he was asking to play in games. Now they told him he can't, but he feels like he's ready. And they attribute that to the way that he's worked and the way that he has gone about very diligently his rehab. And that that is something, whether it's something that's seen or vocalized very often, that's something everybody in the clubhouse is seeing. You know, they know the work that he's putting in and they know the work that he's doing. And, and you wonder if that is having an impact. It's not something we hear and not something that anybody notices, but if that's a way that he's, uh, that he's, he's leading or at least sort of showing them the way that we're supposed to do this, you know? Um, so I think there is some leadership ability there. And, and I, and I don't want it to come across as I'm saying that, that Pedroia is not a leader. It's just that I think <laughs> he does it in a different way, you know, than, than someone like Ortiz did. Don't worry. We're not going to blow up your spot. Um, well Chad we appreciate you joining us and like you said earlier I think it's a two team race as well which is going to make it a hell of a lot of fun this summer and I think that's what these two fan bases need is these guys fighting it out for the division and hopefully in in a playoff matchup as well yeah I agree and I think it's really going to be a lot of fun I mean there I think both teams are legitimately good um but you know look so is Houston and so is Cleveland yeah um so it's a it's going to be an interesting year, but I do. I think that it's. I think it's these two teams. I just don't see Toronto or, or Baltimore actually making a run at it. Um, it's just going to be two. <laughs> and you're not even mentioning teams. Tampa. You can't even <laughs> oh, mention. I, yeah, I don't even know. Do they, do they count still? I don't know. I, uh, no, the, yeah. double, the double Rays. <laughs> yeah. have, they've they've changed uh, names. They're back to the Double Rays. They're just going to hide for yeah. a couple years. Sure, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. hey, I mean, I guess it worked for them once. It took them like a decade, but I guess it worked. Anyway, yeah, I, I, but no, I, it, it's going to be good. I think it's going to be a fun race to watch. All right, well, Chad, thanks again. Sure thing, guys. No problem. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.